0: This is Brian, the Dr. Doherty, the head coach at Springside Chestnut Hill Academy, and you are listening to More Than a Club podcast.
1: Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast. With Marty Kuprian and Bill Leahy. Welcome back to the More Than a Club podcast, season three, episode 10. I'm your host, Bill Leahy, along with Coach Marty Kuprian. It's good to be back, Coach, and thanks for the dad break last week.
2: Thanks, Bill. Welcome back. As we put a bow on our own Philly box season here at Next, the National Lacrosse League is just heating up. The box game's growing in popularity here in the States, with more Americans playing box lacrosse than ever before. While our good friend at NEXT, Brett Manny, is the longest tenured American in the league, we've also got good ties to one of the league's best rookies. I'm very proud to welcome today's guest and get right to it. We'd like to give a very warm NEXT welcome to our guest and alum of the NEXT Lacrosse Club, Ryan Tarafinko.
1: How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on today. Thanks for being with us. So let's get into your resume, Ryan. Like we normally do with our guests, pretty darn impressive for a 20-something. Right, Coop?
2: Yeah, let's just say not many people work as hard as this guy. Uh, It's one of the reasons his passion and hard work turned him into somewhat of a poster boy for our program. I can't wait to talk to him tonight. Here's more on his resume. At Wilson High School, Ryan was the 2016 Berks County Player of the Year and first team all-county. A two-time captain, he also played for the next lacrosse club. A high school American in lacrosse, he was also a soccer player and a water polo star. Two-time letter winner in both. Ryan Terrafenko became Ohio State's first-ever four-time All-American. He played in 59 career games and filled the stat sheet in every way possible. His final numbers included 20 goals, 20 assists, 166 ground balls, 15 caused turnovers, and a 57 face-off winning percentage. Quite simply, he was a rare breed of player that did it all. In the classroom, Terrafenko graduated with his degree in sport industry, a USILA Scholar All-American. OSU Scholar-Athlete and Academic All-Big Ten Honoree, Terrafinko intends to play professional lacrosse and coach in the future, things he's already doing. Ryan plays professionally outdoor in the PLL for the PLL Chrome. He was drafted 12th overall in the 2021 college entry draft. He quickly developed into one of the best rookie players and arguably one of the best short stick D middies in the PLL shutting down numerous dangerous assignments with his physicality and pushing in transition. In nine games as a rookie in the PLL, Ryan had 24 ground balls, six cause turnovers, two goals, and five assists, and he even took a couple faceoffs. In the NLL, the Professional Indoor Box Lacrosse League, Ryan is in his rookie season for the NLL Halifax Thunderbirds. He's so far he has dressed for three games, and we look forward to seeing him play his hometown Philadelphia Wings, later in
1: February. Ryan was recently named the Grinder of the Week for the Halifax Thunderbirds. They posted, after watching Ryan Tarafenko in his senior season at Ohio State and his first season in the Outdoor League, it was evident that he had the skill set to transition smoothly to the NLL. I just don't think anyone would have predicted it would have come this quickly. Not only did the former Ohio State Buckeye score his first career NLL goal, but he was also instrumental in holding Jeff Teat to just three assists and no goals on Friday night. Tarafenko was one of few players assigned to cover teat and was suffocating when called upon. The sinking spring PA native uses his size, strength, agility, and tenacity to be an excellent on ball defender while he is quickly learning the two-man game and how to play Halifax's defensive system. In just three games, Tarafenko has 25 loose balls, two cause turnovers, and three points. Tarafranco is poised to be an absolute menace in transition for the Thunderbirds for years to come.
2: Ryan is also an assistant coach at the Culver Military Academy. He's in his first year there, and I believe he's living on campus. We'll learn more about that assignment today. Before we get into our quick hitter topics, what's this past week been like for you? Just a little update on where you are currently. What's most important right now uh, would be helpful not just for myself, Coach Leahy, but also our listeners.
0: Yeah, this week's been great. You know, we've had some pretty good weather out here in the Midwest. So I'm currently here in uh, Culver, Indiana, which is about, you know, 40 minutes uh, south of uh, South Bend. So uh, I'm coaching there. I'm the defensive coordinator here, and I also work in the athletic department. And obviously, you know, I, like you alluded to, I, I do play in the, profession, uh, the National Lacrosse League in the, in the winter. So a lot of travel on the weekends um, and during the week. And, uh, you know, a lot of coaching during, you know, throughout the week. So I've been, uh, staying busy for sure, but it's been great. You know, the kids here have been, you know, very welcoming to me and, uh, coach Burrs the head coach here has been a great mentor for me. And, uh, I really appreciate him adding me onto his staff.
1: Well, coach, you're in full lacrosse mode. So this is perfect. As we roll into our, our first segment for parents, this is our youth sport hot topic. And so as we speak to parents, what do you have on your mind to share with mom and dads who are listening?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when I look back, uh, my club experience, you know, with my parents, I've been very fortunate to have, you know, two great parents in my life. But the one thing that stood out to me was just know who you're getting involved with and, uh, you know, know who you're investing your time in with and know who is going to be investing your time into your son or your daughter. And I think, you know, especially at Next, we did our due diligence with, uh, you know, meeting the staff, going to practices, going to clinics and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, these these people who are uh, running these programs are going to spend an awful lot of time with your uh, with your child. So, it's really important, in my opinion, to really get to know you know who is your child going to be spending their time with. Because, at the end of the day, when I look back on it and I look back at my club coaches, they've had a tremendous impact on my life, and especially on the field, but even more importantly, off the field.
2: So, with that, I guess like what what can parents look for that that's going to feel right. And in, in someone they could trust, or maybe what's on the other side of kind of a red flag or something that, uh, no, that's not right. And, and you could find a better fit somewhere else.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm not sure if there's an example off the top of my head. I think it's one of those things that, you know, you know, when you see it, you know, almost, but at the end of the day, I think people have a good read on you know, when they have the best intentions for their kid. It was very obvious, you know, to my parents when I walked up to my first trash can practice and, uh, was sworn by coaches immediately giving me feedback was constantly, you know, getting through it in an appropriate manner. Um, you know, wasn't, you know, getting yelled at for, for, you know, little things or anything like that. It was all constructive. And I do think uh, while there are some programs out there that maybe not be doing, might not be doing it right, right now, there are a handful that are doing it right. So, you know, you might have to sacrifice some time, some travel, whatever it is, but, I can't express to you. There's a saying at Ohio state that, you know, coach Myers loves and it's you you win with people and it's like who you surround yourself with is who you're going to be winning or losing with. So you got to make sure that you're picking the right people. And uh, I think, you know, in the club scene, that's, that's equally as important.
1: Indirectly. What I think you're referring to is strong mentors, right? Parents are looking for strong lacrosse mentors to guide their son or daughter when they're out there on the field and when they're traveling and me and you are both very fortunate to have coach Myers as, as a mentor. Um, can you speak a little bit to, to coach Myers as a mentor or other significant figures in your history that were lacrosse mentors?
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the original, you know, coaches or mentors, as uh, I said, I think like everyone's OG coaches are their parents. Right. So right out the gate, I was just fortunate enough to have two great coaches in the beginning and uh, they were definitely tough on me, but you know, they, they treated me, you know, I, super well they, they supported all my goals and as I got older with life you know me and me and coach Coop, me and coach Manny those those guys were mentors they still are mentors to me uh, but a really big impactful moment in my life in that high school phase and then going on to college you know coach Crane and uh, coach Myers I mean those are guys I talk to still every day or at least every other day once a week on the phone and you know, a lot of time it is lacrosse related, but, you know, a lot a, a good portion of it isn't. And It's just chatting about life and it's chatting about, you know, how is his kid's doing and how is flag football going or, you know, how's my parents doing or, you know, how's, what's travel like? How's my girlfriend doing? It's just that's the stuff you look for. It, it can't always be lacrosse related. It's got to have a more meaningful relationship. And something I've always admired about Coach Cran and Coach Myers is their ability to, to get past the surface level like we like to say out of State and really dive into uh, you know you as an individual and who you are uh, outside the field.
1: I thought it was a very high compliment from Coach when we had the under 19 2020 tryouts and he brought you to those early tryouts as like a USA mentor and he was working with you and he trusted you. I just thought that was a really fine compliment um, from Nick to you.
0: Yeah, that was a talk about an all-time experience for me as a young coach and to be able to you know, join that staff in, in, in some regard and hang out with guys like yourself and, you know, Coach Resch, who's an absolute beast. I know he was on the, on the pod earlier and, uh, you know, that's just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So I was, I was very grateful he, he tagged me along there.
1: So we'll keep rolling since you are coming back from practice. My second section is the X and O Insight of the Week for coaches. So you have me all juiced up here as we crush into some X and O's. The dreadful split crease. Let's roll. Talk to me, coach.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, me and coach Cooper texting really <laughs> don't quite understand. I didn't quite know what I was going to talk about in this segment, but I was just thinking about what, what we're doing here at Culver and you know what's giving us a headache, you know, on the defensive end. And it, it's just the below GLE stuff. You know, I think the game is if you're not doing below GLE stuff right now, especially in the college level, you know, you're probably a little bit behind the times. It just seems like it's dominating the game. You watch the, you know, schools like Virginia who are operating behind there all the time. And <laughs> as a defensive coach now, it's like, you got to really spend your time there. It can't just be above the cage anymore. You got to devote, you know, almost a 50 50 split to behind the net. So when I was thinking about the split crease, you know, when I think about it, you know, two guys obviously sitting on top at like 10 yards and how I was taught to defend it out Ohio state would be that backside crease guy kind of sloughs down um, and presents himself as hot. And we did that here at Culver for the longest time for about four or five months, but just didn't seem to work. It just didn't seem to connect with the kids. Um, It seemed like they might have been always late a little bit. And as a coach, you know, you can love an idea as much as you want. But uh, if your kids aren't you know, performing it to the level that you know that they could could be, you know, you might have to make us change. So I got on the phone with Coach Crane, actually. So this is not my uh, you know, this is not my my trademark uh, idea here, but I got on the phone with coach Cray and it turns out he was having a very similar problem with his uh, defense. Cause they're a little bit uh, on the younger side this year. And he was talking to me about this eye formation. So the idea is you got those two guys guarding the split crease instead of wondering which one's going to be, end up being the backside. Why don't they just drop into an eye and that bottom guy automatically becomes hot. And I think that's a real big thing, especially in high school, is you just need – sometimes you just always need a hot guy. You know, I think uh, most of the goals that happen end up happening because there's just no one who said they were hot and no one was ready to slide. So that bottom guy just becomes the all-time hot guy, and that top guy now just takes the near side – or the ball side crease. So if the ball were coming up this way, he would just shift over to that crease guy, and then that backside wing would shift down. And that, to me, we've been running this for about a week now, and it already seems like it is, uh, it's is—it's working much better than it, the other stuff was. So we still got a lot of work to do, no doubt, and there's uh, a lot of uh, you know stuff on my end that I got to start teaching a little bit better to these guys. But uh, I, I did think that was a way to simplify it down to uh, understanding.
1: Well, that's the key for high school guys after doing it for 30 years. Keep it simple. And if they know that the low guy is the hot guy and the second guy – Plays off the ball, then you're on your way because keeping it simple with high school guys, and then from there you can get more complicated, you know. But I think there's
0: always an urge, right, to kind of make uh, maybe not—I don't want to say overcomplicate it, but just like see how far you can test your kids to some extent and like see what they can really know. And it kind of you push that limit, and then you realize, you know, what's going on here? You're like, well, it's probably just a little bit too much for them right now. (laughs) Drop it down a peg or two, and everything turns out to be uh, a lot better. So.
1: One of my favorite lines came from Coach Zimmerman at Hopkins, and he'd say, Billy, there is genius in simplicity, so keep it simple. And he's right, right? If you keep it simple and you master that, you're already more than halfway along the journey of success.
2: Yeah, and I think another thing would just be reaching out to your network, you know? So if if one key is keep it simple, the other one's use your network to talk to your old coaches, get those tips, get some new drills, way of thinking, um, you know, trade film, that type of stuff, so... That's really cool, Rod, just to hear that.
1: So if I drop back a little bit to the goal line extended, I'm curious from your perspective as a defensive coach, obviously I'm an offensive guy. Can you help explain why behind goal line extended is so dangerous and so difficult for the defense?
0: I think it has to do with that that sense of like, as a defenseman, it's hard for me to be looking at my man and also know where the ball is, right? Whereas in above the cage, it's very simple for a D guy to be like, okay, my man's in front of me, and so is the ball. So now when you add the ball being behind your back, it's that constant looking back and forth, which then allows the offensive guy to be cutting, to be fading, to be lofting. And it just creates so many more variables where above the cage, it's, it's just a little bit easier when everything's in front of them. And that's why when you put the ball behind the net, you just score a little bit quicker. I, I don't know what it is, but it seems like, now that we've added a shot clock to college Across, it, it does seem like I, uh, teams are going behind the net more. Maybe I'm just, maybe overthinking it a little bit. It is weird to say that I played when there was no shot clock. It kind of makes me feel a little bit older than I am, but uh, it's uh, it's funny to see kind of the differences with the shot
1: clock. Well done, young Jedi. You realize I was testing you. You nailed it. It's why it's the defense that has to turn their back, right? When their backs turn, splitting two really is what they're doing. It's much more complicated. It seems so simple to dodge from behind, and it is but it creates more havoc than you would think, and you nailed it on your defensive answer. So I think you're ready to go up there at Culver. Well done, rookie. I liked it. Great stuff.
2: Yeah, it's funny because when you were in high school, we used to tell you, hey, there's going to be a shot clock one day, and you'll be that type of guy that gets to stay on the field because you grind. Uh, Let's move on to culture building. Uh, Let's talk about your experience with the next lacrosse club and then Ohio State. Uh, Between the two programs, what were some of the constants, you know, that helped make you successful? um, both as a team member, a leader, um, and then individually on your own time, uh, just share with us, you know, what those cultures were like.
0: Yeah. I mean, culturally, um, Ohio state is, uh, it's, it's a great, ex- I mean, it's all time experience. We're in trade for the world. Um, coach Myers and his program, what he believes in is, you know, right up my alley. Um, you know, I, I think each culture, if, if I was trying to compare the next to the Ohio state, it would be, you know, my, one of my favorite quotes is just nothing of great importance can be done alone. And coach Myers preaches that. I mean, I, I spoke earlier about the, you win with people quote, that's hanging right above his office. Yep. Uh, he's all about family. He's all about, you know, I can't do this by myself. And you know, one of the talks for some reason, when you're a, you know, a sophomore in college, you, you think you can just take on the world. You can do everything by yourself. And I was the same way. And, you know, I remember him sitting me down and He's like, hey, listen, man, you, you can't win lacrosse games by yourself. You can't lead the a team by yourself. You can't be a head coach by yourself. And and I that, I just remember that talk with him, and it's just resonated with me since. It's like, as a leader, as a coach, you have to be empowering others to start taking some some things off your plate and and working together with with uh, you know the rest of the team in order to accomplish a common goal. So. When I think about next, I just think about all the coaches that used to say how unselfishly we played and how much we loved each other and played for each other. And, I mean, that's what I remember from my uh, next experience was just the, the fun that we had together because there was never a kid who was going over his skis, trying to do too much. It was always making the simple plays and, and then celebrating with each other afterwards, which was just all-time memories of mine.
1: So with Coach Myers at Ohio State, obviously like the bastion of great culture, I'll throw out a couple other – culture sayings from coach Myers that we both have in common. And I want your quick response. Ready? Give it a shot. Yeah. E plus R equals O. Yeah. The way you handle
0: situations, right? Event plus response equals outcome. That's a, that's Ohio state staple.
1: Team blueprints having a team blueprint.
0: Yep. Three pillars in our blueprint. Uh, You know, we, we have to memorize those and puts us on the spot a lot with uh, you know, citing them on on, the huddles and stuff. So, He's all about that stuff and, uh, you know, having physical copies of that stuff that he can give out to each of his players to make sure that they, you know, they're believing it, they're reading it. It's always on their heart.
2: Yeah.
1: One of the things I liked about the blueprint was it helped you measure your team and your own performance against yourself, not your opponent in the scoreboard. So you might have won 15 to three over, you know, whoever, but then you go back and look at your blueprint and you didn't really have a great game. You played a weak team, you played mediocre, and you didn't live up to the blueprint. So you had a victory, but you had a kind of a semi-growth experience when the blueprint wasn't lived up to. And the opposite's true, too. You might have lost a game, played great, and totally lived up to the blueprint. The team was just good. Yeah, it really redefined how we looked at our LaSalle teams because we would play some teams that were weaker, and we'd have big wins, and you weren't growing from that. You were just saying, ah, we won 15-1 to 1 again. It was kind of interesting to go up in the locker room and say we won today. However, did the guys who get in there today play up to what we had expected of ourselves in writing? And then that was a whole different analysis. So then you you left the locker room not feeling as good as as the big victory. So,
2: You got other sayings from Coach Myers?
1: Oh, they're the big ones. If not,
2: I wanted to ask what else Ryan has that kind of rings in his head and stays with him if there's other uh, phrases from Coach.
0: Yeah, I mean, the biggest one the last couple of years has just been truth and love. You know, he's a big – I mean, he's a a big truth and love. He's a big truth and anger guy too. So, I mean, his (laughs) – there's three ways to kind of – you know, hold someone accountable, f- facilitate conversation, whatever you want to say, yeah. you know, there's, bull- there's bullshit, right? Which is obviously the worst is when you're getting lied to straight to your face and no one's holding you to a standard. There's truth and anger, which is a lot better than bullshit, right? It's, it, but the problem with truth and anger is that if you say, if, if your delivery is off and you're saying it in a, you know, angry demeanor or whatever, whatever, you, the person receiving that it might just be focusing on how you're saying it and not what you're saying. And then the best is truth and love. And you know, he'll be the first to admit it. He's not hundred percent on truth and love, but you know, he, he really does show all of his players how much he does love them, how much he respects them when he is giving feedback. And he's he's done he's done a very good job over my course of my five years there of, of developing that because when I first got there it was a it was a little bit more on the raw side, and now, you know, he's all in on making sure What needs to be said is said, but it's just equally as important of how it's said. So I think that's a big, a big thing for him.
1: And all of that shows that you win in the locker room. You know, you win with each other. You win for how you care about your brothers, how you care about your coaching staff. But in the end, you know, you win in the locker room, which carries over to the field.
2: Moving on to our guest roundtable section of the show. It'll be awesome to hear from Ryan about learning lacrosse as a young player and go from there with his journey with this sport. Ryan, take us back. Uh, Reading, Reading, Pennsylvania—is that where you started playing?
0: Yep, Reading, Singing Spring, you know, in that uh, in that area out in uh, you know central central PA, you know, east of uh, or I should say, what is it, west of, of Philly? How
2: old when you started playing?
0: I was young. Yeah, I started playing in second grade. I have an older brother; he's six years older than me. So uh, you know, he started playing. You know, not you know naturally how just younger siblings are. Just, just wanted to do whatever he was doing. So picked up the stick after he was done with it and we we'll play the rest of the day.
2: Were you a wings fan? Was, were you watching the MLL college lacrosse? And, you know, when did you start to really dream big or, you know, think bigger with
0: it? my experience? I mean, it really had nothing to do with college professional. It really had to do with my brother and my family. I mean, we were as raw as a lacrosse family as it, as they came back then. I mean, now I feel like we're, you know, almost vets to this. My mom, <laughs> PIAA state, you know, champion, uh, state championship ref. I mean, she's a killer ref in the in PIAA. That's right, yeah. Played yeah. at D1 at Oregon. Um, obviously, I played at Ohio State. My brother didn't end up playing, but he, he had some good good years at high, high school. So, you know, we're, we're a lax family now through and through.
2: Love it. So when did things get really serious? What was club lacrosse like for you? And then, you know, bridging that to recruiting and Ohio State. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think – you know, I was really good at soccer, but I loved lacrosse, and I just I wasn't as good as I was in lacrosse. I was in soccer, and I always just kind of thought soccer would be my sport. I would go play in college, yeah. but I had this you know desire. I just I fell in love with this game, and you know the club scene around me is is not quite what it looks like in Philly. It's getting better for sure, and credit to Jake Plunkett who, who's really diving into the the Black Widow uh, Club lacrosse. Yeah. And, you know, they're doing a great job. I've worked there for a while. But uh, back then, there was really nothing. So, you know, I ended up joining a club probably out of Lancaster, which is like 30, you know, 30, 40 minutes away. And I did pretty good. But I always knew if I wanted to take this seriously, I had to go play with the big boys out in uh, Philly. And I had to really go see what I was all about. And if I never did that, I you know, I never would have known where I was because when I showed up to Trash Can in, you know, seventh grade, uh, you know, I was behind the curve by a long shot and, uh, it was good for me though. I've always felt like I've been self-aware and I've, uh, I was able to see that, Hey man, listen, like you're not what these seventh graders out of Pencrest are looking like. You're no Ryan Kennard yet. Like these guys are, are a different breed of lacrosse players. So it was a great experience for me just to venture out. You know, I, that's one of the things that I think impacted me the most was that just one summer out as seventh grader and just getting my butt kicked.
2: Yeah, and I, I remember you just growing over the next couple of years and admiring how far you were coming to practice, you know, but also you'd be like the first guy there, last guy to leave, and you were just one of those guys that just felt that you were making other people better just because you cared so much, worked so hard. So obviously traits that you continue today, but really cool to watch them play out in high
1: school. And speaking of high school, talk a little bit about your high school experience, what it was like. I remember we came out and played you from LaSalle. And, um, it must've been a a great experience, but also you got, you got the full experience when the Philly guys came out to play you.
0: Yeah, I know. That was my last, that was my last high school game ever. I remember that. I was, I was wondering if you're going to bring that one up. Yeah,
1: I was going to (laughs) bring it up, but I was going to leave the uniqueness of what happened that day off, off the record, but.
0: (laughs) No, it's good. I mean, you know, that's the thing Like we made, we were as good as we possibly could have been my, my senior year, you know, a ceiling and, uh. You know, we, I, I didn't probably want to believe that then. And I wanted to look you in the eyes and say, man, we could have won a state championship. But at the end of the day, like winning that District 3 championship, like you have no idea what that meant to us. And uh, to, to, to win that and, and to, to, to break the streak of losing in that championship game. And, man, like I still get – I still text those, those buddies on that team and just like, holy shit, like we won that, man. Like <laughs> we were the first team, in, you know, first guy to win that.
2: I remember reading the articles about your team in disbelief. So it was pretty cool. H- how would you describe your leadership of the Wilson team over those years?
0: Yeah. I mean, I was, I was wired. A, a, I would say a little differently in high school. I was, you know, straightforward cross, across, lacrosse, lacrosse, lacrosse. And I've done a good job of, you know, now in my life creating the balance that, that, I, that I need to, to keep this going. But at the end of the day, like they knew, you know, what me and a few other kids on that team were all about, you know, we were, division the lacrosse, going to be division the lacrosse players. This was kind of our life. This was our like last big thing. We had a great team and we really committed to each other. I mean, I remember every week, Saturday in the morning, we would drive out to Shady Maple, which is like, this all you can eat buffet like 40 minutes away. And we would spend time doing that. We would have each other over on our house on the weeknights, eating dinners. It's just like, we just spent a lot of time with each other. We want to make sure that was the closest team, uh, you know, in Wilson history because, we wanted to see if that was the difference between winning a district three championship or not. And I think at the end of the day, that might've been it. I mean, we had talented teams back you know, when I was a freshman sophomore and just, we couldn't get it done. And uh, like I said, just, a, just a great memory. It makes me smile every time I'm thinking about it.
1: Your team was talented and you were obviously the captain of that team. Talk about a little bit about your recruiting journey, a little bit late, a little unique and everybody has their own story. So what was yours when it came to the recruiting front?
0: Yeah, mine was, mine was, you know, unique for sure. I think looking back on it, it was kind of crazy what was going on. So it's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm almost more okay with it, how it ended up now. Because um, I look kind of smart that I had, I had to wait till my junior year. But uh, in all honesty, I didn't have too many options. So maybe not. But it was just, uh, you know, that first summer, it was a summer of growing for me. You know, it was my first summer playing on a Philadelphia-based team. I was the worst kid on the team. I had to go learn from all the other kids and I had to go learn from the coaching staff. And I understood that I didn't necessarily think I was going to get committed that summer. Um, going into the sophomore summer, I felt a lot more confident. I felt like, you know, with these guys and that's a credit to all the offseason work that next does with the box. And the, I remember the, the gym days back at EA like two days a week in the winter with the tennis balls and all that stuff. And, I mean, it's just it was great. Next, offered me all those resources where I had no excuse not to get bed. The only excuse I had would have been my mom not wanting to drive me, but luckily she was a saint and would drive me, you know, three times a week sometimes. It just looks it's crazy now looking back on that she used to do that stuff for me, but uh, you know I know she she doesn't regret it either.
1: So you get recruited to Ohio State. You have so many amazing gifts. One of which is you are a phenomenal athlete. I mean, just a gifted athlete. God gave you a special gift to get up and down that field. You transition to being a freshman, and I've always thought that that's one of the biggest transitional steps as a player from high school to college. What did you think when you arrive at Ohio State, you go to your first practice, you're from Wilson, you're a great athlete, and you have all these lacrosse players around you from upstate and Baltimore, and what was that transition like? Overwhelming or ready to go? Where did you fall in the spectrum of transitioning to college ball? I think, I think the
0: college part was overwhelming, you know, not being with your parents, living in a dorm. Uh, I think that part got me a little bit more. I love it to death. Like, I played lacrosse when I was in high school, played wall ball every single day, shoot every single day. So, like, the idea that now I have, like, scheduled lacrosse time, it was great. I loved it. Um, in terms of, like, the first couple weeks, my advice for, you know, incoming freshmen would just be, like, do what you're really good at. So like I came in and I was in really good shape. So on the run test, I ran as hard as I possibly could. And that got the coach's attention. Like that got him like thinking like, Oh, okay. This kid's here. This kid's serious. Like he obviously took the time. Like if you have a good stick, crush the wall ball test, right? If you're really good at school, crush all that stuff, that first semester, like just do what you're really good at. And that first semester will go by a lot easier for me. Like I said, I think the, 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 The actual living off, you know, away from my parents and all that stuff, feeding myself, going to get my own meals was probably the bigger transition than lacrosse piece.
1: Well, be honest with you. The first time I saw you play, because obviously we were scouting you for the game and I'm watching film and I was like, my Lord, he is a born D midi. Of course, you grew into being a good offensive player as well. So compliments to your growth and change and hard work. But I was like, you know, offensive players who fail as a midfielder, if they're athletic, I make them a D MIDI. Like the offensive guys who don't work out have a fallback plan. But when I watch some guys who are like a MIDI, they don't have a fallback plan. They're just slashing you and pissed off. you. Yeah, and then they end up on the bench. I watched you you play, and I was like, man, if that guy doesn't become an offensive player, he's a natural born d MIDI And you just crushed it from your freshman year all the way through to, I'm reading about your success in Halifax, shutting down T. Like you were almost like just born to do this and do it really well. There was no fallback plan. It was this is what I do. I'm gonna crush it. I actually might even get better offensively, which of course you did, and that was my first thought when I watched you. I was like, "Man, that is what he does, and does it really well." So take that as a compliment. Any humble opinions on that um, pumping your tires right there?
0: No, I mean that's just the the whole getting better stuff is just a credit to the environment that Coach Myers breeds at Ohio State. Like we don't call them D mids. Like I saw Coach and No, it's like we don't call them D mids. They're sled dogs. I'm like. Being a sled dog at Ohio State, and it sounds corny, is like a, it's an honor. It's like a privilege. And we take that seriously. And like there aren't people, there are people who are OMIDs who are like, oh, put him at D-Mid. Like our sled dog group is like, there's no way you can be a sled
1: dog. <laughs> he doesn't belong. <laughs> Not worthy. And it's just that. like
0: we don't let just anyone be a sled dog at Ohio State. Like you look at the history of Ohio State, there's so many good ones that have come out um in the last, you know, 10, eight, 10 years. It's just that's the environment that we have there. So it was awesome to be a part of something like that.
1: But even sled dogs get hurt. You want to talk a little bit about your first big injury?
0: Yeah. You know, it's something I, I still think about a lot. I'm not lying to you. Uh, you know, for those who don't know, I, I played majority of my freshman year. Um, three games before, we ended up making it to the national championship. I ended up torn, tearing my ACL. I actually broke my thumb, uh, you know, two games uh, before. Yeah. So, I have a funny picture of uh, you know me. They made hand, they made hands special crutches for me because I had a broken thumb, cast all up my arm, and I was on crutches. So it was a, quite a sight, but uh, I could play with the thumb. As soon as the knee happened, I I, I was told I, I can't play any longer, and I went from you know I was it was just the lowest point of my athletic career. You know no, no lying about it. Uh, it was it was hurt painful. You know, to my soul, just let my teammates down. But at the end of the day, like, you can complain and be sad all you want. Like, we still got games to win, and we still did have games to win. And we ended up beating Duke without me, beating Towson without me. And, you know, we ended up, you know, falling a little short to Mar- a loaded Maryland team. But, you know, I'm still proud of how that team responded to, you know, having a starter go out, and you know, all that late in the season and how guys just rallied around as a team and competed their asses off.
1: Yeah, being injury- injured teaches – You, all of us, when we are injured, a new kind of um, discipline, which is my job now is to get better, to get well. My commitment is to physical therapy and to rehab, while the team marches on. And you're right, it is soul crushing. When we focus on on what we're missing, you know, it's a harder struggle and we're depressed. But when we focus on my job now is to get well, and listen to my trainers and listen to my therapists, that gives you a different sense of purpose, you know, which is to heal and get back out on the field. There were so many young people that I worked with that weren't focusing on their new job, which was to recover.
0: No, it's a complete mental shift to that, that, that six, seven, eight-month grind that you're about to embark on.
2: So, Rye, as we, we go through your career at Ohio State, you became one of the most decorated players to ever play lacrosse there. Uh, three- or four-time captain, four-time All-American, uh, academic All-American honors. Um, really proud of what you were able to do there. Uh, And it was really fun to root for you and turn on a game and go, yeah, that's the guy I like, the guy that's jacking someone up, picking up the ball and, you know, working harder than everyone else. So, you know, credit to you. And uh, just wanted to ask, well, what are those football games like? And, um, you know, Coach Manny and I never really got got the the warm and fuzzy invite, but I would have been there. And uh, what are they like? Tell us.
0: Well, first, Coach Manny, Coach Manny and me did have a Starbucks date when he was up there one time. He did treat me to some Starbucks, which was really nice of him. I did appreciate that. Uh, you know, you might have to ask uh, Kevin Todd how the football games are. He's a a, a staple uh, guest at Ohio sure. State. So, uh, but they're great. I mean, it's just a it's a it's a sporting atmosphere. I mean, if you love sports and you just love that compete level, like you go to the Horseshoe and there's 110,000 people who love it too. And me and Feliz, my freshman year, went to every single home game. So it was a great time and. I can't wait to go back to him. I mean, once, uh, once my schedule kind of frees up a little bit, uh, I'm definitely going to make, uh, make sure I plan a trip out there.
2: It's great to hear. Uh, keep my number. Let's talk about the pros. So, um, I know it was something that, you know, you, you thought about, and started to think about at Ohio state, like, you know, I could be good enough to keep playing, uh, in 2021, you were drafted 12th overall to the PLL Chrome. Um, they say since then, you know, you're one of the best, uh, D middies. You're one of the hardest guys to go against. You get, you know, quote unquote picked on, uh, by some of those, uh, the biggest stars in the league. What's it like playing in that outdoor league, um, after that rookie year, what's it like?
0: It's fun. Yeah. I mean the, the Chrome, you know, we didn't have the season, uh, we would, I, I was comfortable with and everyone in that locker room was comfortable with But At the end of the day, it's, it's a great environment. Um, you get to continue playing the sport you love you playing against the best in the world. It's extremely competitive. It's, uh, every game feels kind of like almost like a playoff game to some extent because you know got one a weekend the, the crowds all there there's so many people in those events at least last year um so it's a great experience i'm i'm just really grateful to be a part of the PLL and i can't wait for a year 2
1: i'm curious what did you learn about yourself in your first
0: uh i, I learned you know you're not always or you know i, I think there's a proper way to say it i just it's just it was it was humbling. You know, it was just, it was a humbling experience for sure. You get so comfortable with uh, being able to do what you, what you think you can do all the time. And it's just like, you get, you just push it up one more level and you realize shit, like this is a little bit different. I can't get away with some of the stuff I was doing. So, you know, year two, I got a much better feeling about what it looks like and what needs to be done. And that's why partially why I'm so excited. I, I know we got a better squad. We got a healthier squad. So, it's going to be a, a really fun year for us.
1: Any rookie moments, like welcome to the league rookie, when you look back?
2: <laughs>
0: there's probably – I mean, there's probably – I'm sure if I if, if I don't say there are any, there, that someone's going to find something on uh, the internet and tag me in or something. But uh,
2: I obviously wasn't in the game, but I saw you cross-checking Paul Rabel and, you know, some of those guys and felt pretty good. Yeah,
0: no, I mean, it feels good if for sure when you, when you can finally get one. Those guys take advantage of shorties all the time. Schreiber,
2: you got it. Once again,
0: dodging on. Um, I think the, the archers game is just a moment where I was like, wow, like I can, I can do this. Like sometimes I was playing through some injuries. They they all got resolved uh, after the season, which was good, but there's, there's self-doubt. I mean, it's human nature to have self-doubt kind of creep in the back of your mind. And I did have some games where I was like, wow, like, damn, I can compete in this league and I can be an impactful player. And those to me, I remember more because they were more like, clear moments where
2: I thought to myself, you know, I can do this. I, I do belong here. It's great for our young athletes to hear. Let's talk about the indoor league, uh, the national lacrosse league. You got drafted to the Halifax Thunderbirds. First off, where's Halifax? And second, how's it going for you?
0: Halifax is uh, Nova Scotia, Canada. So uh, what is that? It's uh, east of Maine. They're in a different time zone, which is okay. their hour yeah. ahead. standard helpful. time zone. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I didn't realize it until I went there, but uh, it's been going good. The, the, the indoor game brings me back to my freshman year roots of uh, high school. It's just like completely, you know, you're, you're almost starting over. And that's why I love it. So it's, it's a challenge. You know, I got practice squad the first two games. Yeah. That's humbling in itself. Uh, but it's also like, it's also like, you know, why would, why do I believe, why, why would I not get practice squad? Like, these guys have been doing it for their whole lives. I got to do my time, and I got to go to these practices. I got to learn from these guys. I'm fortunate enough to be on one of the more talented teams in the league. So it's like you just got to do your time. And these last two games have been great. You know, I'm far from perfect, and I make a lot of mistakes, but I just keep my head down, play as hard as I can, and pick up as many ground balls as I can. So it's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying it.
1: And you've played with a bunch of Canadians, I mean, from Leclerc all the way to Halifax. Now, what have you learned by playing with Canadians? Like, how are they different and how have you grown being their teammates? Yeah,
0: I mean, my two, two of my best friends from school and just in life now are Canadians. Jeff Henrik, he plays for the Swarm and Trey plays for uh, San Diego. And I, I think Canadians, they're just, they're, they're, I love them. I mean, they're tough as nails. I very rarely meet anyone, any Canadians who aren't super tough. They, they love lacrosse, they're, they're grinders, they've all put in the hours of work on their sticks because you can just tell when they pick up a stick how, how well and how much time they spent on it. And I just think they're like, they're loyal. They're just, you know, they, they don't, they're, they're like introverted to some extent, but they're extremely like just loyal to, to you if you treat them well and you, and you show that you care about what you're doing and, and what you're trying to accomplish together, which I, which I really appreciate.
2: Love it. Ryan, uh, continued success with the uh, Thunderbirds. I, I know it's one of the deepest rosters in the league, but um, keep doing what you're doing, and uh, we'll be there to watch you on February 26th when you play the Wings. Ryan, let us in a little bit more on the coaching career. You know, when did those aspirations start? W- what steps have you been taking? And, uh, you know, what, what's your why?
0: Yeah, to me, the, the coaching and being involved in cross started young. Uh, I just... I tell people all the time, I just, I love this game so much. It's given me so much. It's introduced me to my best friends, you know, some great mentors. It's provided me an education, an opportunity to play the sport I love for a living. Um, I just can't see myself not being a part of it in some aspect throughout my entire life. Coaching is, 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 uh, it brings me the same type of enjoyment that playing does in just a little bit different fashion. Um, I, my desire to become a coach comes from my background. I mean, I always tell this to people, I'm a product of, of good coaching. And, um, you know, from next, from guys pouring into me, like you're, you know, Coach Coop, yourself, you know, Coach Manny, Coach Nux, Castle, all those guys. I mean, I'm a product of good coaching. I, I stated earlier how my first coaches were my parents. Yeah. I'm a product of that good coaching. And, if I can have some similar effect on young individuals that these amazing coaches have had in my life, uh, to me, that's just the ultimate goal, I guess, in, in my career. Um, so that's kind of the why, why I started, uh, why I want to pursue this coaching uh, career full-time eventually.
2: Yeah, I was having fun texting with you last week. I had a memory pop up on my phone six years ago you know, that date you were at Mainline Sports Center with me, coaching the 24s and 25s of next, you know, and it, it kind of the picture looks like the Bad News Bears or something. But some of those kids are like all Central League and things like that. Um, and you were a college kid. So I guess, you know, if you were on my staff or we were on staff at Culver together, what are some pet peeves that you have of kids at practice that like you can't stand or what are some things that get you fired up? You know, two sides of that coin for Coach Terrafenko. Or coach Terry I mean,
0: I'll start I'll start with the positives always I mean something that gets me fired up is just a defenseman arriving really hard on someone's hands I mean that yeah. I don't know if there's quite something else that gets me more fired up than that we had a couple of instances today honestly where we got some nice timely slides on the back of the helmets and just arrived and you could hear it you know from a couple yards away which is just really gets me going so that's probably my biggest one that, that I'm into some pet peeves I mean I I'm not a fan of coaching energy. You know, I think a lot of coaches would say that uh, you have to, you know, you just have to sometimes, but you know, if you don't come out excited to be out on the field, playing the sport that that you love, it just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Like I can't compute with that. So I think energy, lack of energy during practice is probably my biggest pet peeve. Um it's tough here because they play a lot of lacrosse, so you kinda have to massage that a little differently. But there is a, a general standard of energy that I like to uh have at you know practice, especially when it's just individual D-, D work. Um, so that's probably my biggest one.
1: I'm curious, non-negotiables. Big thing for Coach Myers, Coach Leahy, Culver have any or you non negotiables. If you want to play here, this is not negotiable.
0: Yeah, I mean my non negotiables will probably sound like a lot like uh, Coach Myers, in all honesty. But uh just because I believe in believe in the same stuff as him, uh, especially when it comes to that kind of stuff, uh, I would say you know for defensemen, it would be arriving, like I said, hard. I mean, we want a covert defenseman. You know, we want people not to want to get slid by us, slid to by us. So it, the only way to do that is to really arrive with some hate. Um, Two handed is, I mean, that's that's probably the one that's closest to my heart, just because I picked up a lot of ground balls and. I can probably count on my hand the amount of times I picked up one with one hand. So, that's that's one for my shorties. That's definitely a non-negotiable.
1: I got one one for us putting our palms up, right? Looking at the referee, putting our palms up like we have something to say to the ref, like the ref's wrong. Yeah, that that one. uh,
0: Yeah, you'll find you'll find yourself in a little pickle if you did that. Ohio State. We haven't had a game a full-on game yet at Culver, so I'm hoping they know better than to do that. But uh, yeah, that's that's a big no-no at Ohio State.
1: My favorite section of every show, Coach, is our rapid fire next homework. Let's go! This is where I'm going to ask for you to deliver a little quick homework segment to our three categories of listeners: parents, coaches, and players. So, you ready? You ready to do this? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. What homework do you have for a parent who's listening? Yeah,
0: the parent. I would just say do your research. You know, figure out wh- what programs you have available to you in a, in a, in a certain radius and. Your homework. You know, one quick story. I know I mentioned about, you know, how do you know the nice programs from the not so nice programs? Um, when I was in seventh grade, I was at a camp in Georgetown Academy, and my parents were like 40 minutes late. And it would have been very easy for this individual to just be like, you know, you got a phone, like you're good. But Brett Manny waited for 40 minutes. He didn't know me at all. And he waited by my side for 40 minutes until my parents came. And it's like that time that I got to talk to him he's, and we were talking about the next job. He's like, yeah, I think they want me to coach the 2016. I was just like, that's sweet. Like I want to, I want to play for that. And it was just a funny, you know, story that we have, but like, that's, that's the type of people that you want to, you want your kids to be around and my mom and dad. I mean, when they came and picked me up and saw that this, this guy waited for 45 minutes on a Saturday or Sunday we're hooked, you know, sold.
1: Nice. Nice. Homework for coaches who are listening.
0: Yeah. My homework for coaches would just be have one, one genuine conversation, not about lacrosse with one of your players You know, this week, you know, try to make it not surface level, you know, have a meaningful conversation, not just say, Hey, how are you? You know, get a little deeper, you know, with your players, you know, what kind of struggles are you facing right now? What can I do to help you alleviate those struggles? Those are all good ways to start, but, I think too, not just coaches, it's too much nowadays, it's just too much surface level uh, you know, communication amongst people.
1: And what homework do you have for a player who is listening?
0: My homework for a player would just be get in the habit of trying to find a way to get a little bit better each day. You know, it's not always going to be wall ball. It's not always going to be, you know, shooting. You no, know, some days it might just be, maybe I'll do yoga for a day. Maybe I'll do, you know, I'll stretch for an extra 20 minutes is today. I just think like when you can trick your brain, into like this was a productive thing that i i needed to do and i did it you can kind of create, start to create that reward system internally where it's like man i'm going to keep doing one really productive thing each day and then those start stacking up and eventually you're doing two or three so but you got to start somewhere so just do one thing each day that gets you a little bit better to where you want to go
1: and last, what are you currently reading or listening to these days?
0: I am not currently reading anything, unfortunately. I I feel like I've been swarmed with time. It's a bad excuse, and I need to get uh to get my hands on something. Something I have read that I will always recommend is uh, Extreme Ownership, and I read that uh, in college. Read that again after college when I graduated. It's by uh, Jocko Will Will Willink- Willink- I
1: might be yeah, pronouncing major it, podcast guy. Wrong.
0: Yeah. And he, it's just a badass book. Man, I, I loved it front to back and has some great lessons on there. And anyone who hasn't read it must read. Great work. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, I'm, I'm
2: going to send you a book uh, just as a recommendation, along with some gear as a thank you. So text me your dormant address there over at Culver. Uh, I got
0: my uh, own apartment.
2: That's what you're saying on the podcast. We'll see. We'll see. No, that's awesome. Good for you. Uh, Ryan, this has been really cool. So thanks for your time. We're really rooting for Culver this spring. Um, and excited to watch you grow as a coach over the next few years. Hopefully, Haverford gets to meet Culver somewhere along the way so Coach Mandy and I can, can face up against you. Wishing you luck in the NLL with the Halifax Thunder. Uh, call to action for the next family. February 26th, we'll be in the house to watch you. Hope to see you at the, at the bar post game. Um, that would be great to see your parents there too. Coach Leahy, any final thoughts for Ryan?
1: You made us all very proud as a next graduate. Thanks, Coach. Good work.
2: I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah, much love for our producer, Justin, co-host Bill Leahy, and our special guest, Ryan Tarafinco. This is Coach Coop. We're closing down Episode 10 of Season 3 and signing off from the next headquarters in Conchalcom, Pennsylvania. Thank you for listening.
1: Great job, Coach. You're a natural.